Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall. Welcome back to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. This particular podcast will be a little different than some of our previous, where we've had an opportunity to interact with questions and conversation with people well involved with the Mustang hobby. We've actually were able to do this a couple of years back, but we did it with video, and we will be creating a YouTube channel for the Mustang Owners podcast videos that we do create, because these are from people that are well uh, they help make the hobby what it is. They are very important from a design aspect or from other things that they've done, whether it be engineering, marketing, or such with Mustangs. You're more or less going to hear a narration from these particular guests that we have. And our first episode this way will be from Jack Tilnack. And if you're in the Fox Body world, you know the name. If you're not in the Fox Body world, I'd like to just briefly explain to you that uh, Jack Tilnack was a VP of design for the Fox Body. He had just been transferred from Europe into uh, Dearborn Headquarters Design Center. And he was tasked with basically, well, we got to get rid of the Mustang too. Where do we go? And he created a very uh, unique car styling that had not been done in the United States until he started, uh, well, I don't want to say fooling around, but started playing around with the idea of more of a slanted front end of a car versus something that was more or less just cut off at the front of the car. And so um, he's going to tell you more, I'm sure. But uh, so at this point, I want to let you just listen to Jack. Uh, We did this recording at his home in Michigan. He's very gracious with his time, and uh, he's he's definitely a Mustang guy. When he was here at the 50th as one of our guests, uh, he was just floored with the number of cars that he saw, and that Fox Body still had a big play in the hobby. So at this point, I'd like to just kind of step back and let you hear from Jack. Hi, I'm Jack Telnack. I'm the retired vice president of design, Ford Motor Company, and I got started in this business, uh, I think, when I was about five years old. Uh, oh, yeah, I just fell in love with cars at a very early age. My father was with the Ford Motor Company, and I can remember him taking me to the Ford Rotunda, which was a large display building in Dearborn, Michigan, where they had all the Ford cars, Ford Motor Company cars on display, Fords, Lincolns, and Mercury's, and trucks. And that would have been in about 1941. And I can remember the first car that I fell in love with there was a 1941 Lincoln Continental. Uh, I just I just couldn't get over it. At the, at the age of five, I was just uh, overwhelmed. I, I, just, I just didn't understand how anybody could do anything so beautiful. And I wanted my dad to buy one, but unfortunately he couldn't afford one at the time. He, he had to buy a 41 Ford instead of the 41 Continental. But it, did, it was in Burgundy, so at least we got close to the color that I liked. As I went through school, I, I told everyone I wanted to design cars but no one really knew how to get into the car design business. Uh, my instructors in high school, or didn't understand. Nobody, knew, nobody really knew what a designer was. Uh, it was just some guy out in Never Never Land, but they, they couldn't pin it down. The interesting part about the 79 Mustang program was that we used the, actually used the platform, the Fox platform, which we were building four-door uh, Fairmont cars on, or fair, uh, Fairlanes. And, uh, uh, to think that we could, the, the challenge was to, how, was how do you get an exciting 
uh, two plus two car off a four door sedan platform. And, uh, and because the name of the game then would be, you, you gotta get the car lowered, you, know, you have to have a long hood, a shorter deck if you want any, any real Mustang feel and, and use some of the Mustang cues on this car. And uh, we were able to do that and I, I think we, we really broke one of the rules that I always had on car design. I always said, if you want a hot car, give me a low car, give me a low cowl on the car, the area where the windshield intersects the, the back of the hood. And if, I said, if you can get that point low enough, I can give you a hot car, I can take a lot of derivatives off it and, and still have a good look. Well, the trick was the Fairlane uh, cowl uh, couldn't go down because there's a, some very expensive real estate under the cowl. You, when you get into the firewall and the real estate underneath the cowl, you're really into some major rip-ups. So we did something really different with this car and it went against everything I believed in in design. Instead of lowering the cowl, which we couldn't, we raised the cowl, but we raised the cowl so we could get more slope to the front end of the car and take the boxiness out of the car, which they had uh, on the Fairlane, uh, the, the, on the, the four-door fo Fox platform. So, uh, it, and people couldn't believe it when they, when they said, uh, Jack Telnick wants to raise the cowl on this car, but it, it, it worked and it really gave the car a different look and it did allow us to get the front end lower and get the slant back front on the car and improve the aerodynamics of the car. And we did, it was, uh, for a pony car, it had the best aerodynamics of anyone, anyone in town. So it was uh, obviously a pretty successful program. Now, uh, uh, let me go back in history a little bit because I, I was fortunate enough to have been asked to work on the, the first Mustang. And Joe Orris uh, was running the Ford studio at the time and he selected several of us uh, designers. He wanted uh, some young designers in on the program just to uh, see how we could uh, deal with this. And I can remember Joe calling a, a meeting over at the Dearborn Inn. We had a dinner meeting at the Dearborn Inn. He gathered us guys, there must have been about a, a dozen of us or so at this dinner. And we sat around a table after dinner and talked about what this car should be. What should a Mustang be? And uh, I just finished a book uh, by Vance Packard called Hidden Persuaders. So I was, and I was just a young guy at the time. I was about 22, I think. And I was all just loaded with all these new innovative ideas on how to, how to, how to have these hidden persuader techniques and when you're selling a product uh, and how to convince people they should buy your product. And I, I spoke up in this meeting and I think people thought, were wondering, well, where did this kid come from? Why is he bringing this sort of stuff into a conversation? We're trying to design a car here. But Joe let me express myself. He was very kind about that sort of thing. And um, it was an interesting meeting. It was the first meeting I ever attended. I ever attended there. And I think it was one of the first meetings we've ever had in the company where we were starting with an absolute clean piece of paper. This is a car all new from the ground up and we could do anything we wanted with it. And the only direction that we had from Joe, it was really simple. He just said, we want a, a sporty, formal look to this car. And you think, well, how do those two things go together? And um, I think we really, really hit it with the, final, with the final design of the car. And by the way, Gail Halderman did the first sketch on the car and brought it in and Joe and it really met it. And what, what, what it really did to get this sporty, formal feel, it was, it was a throwback to uh, design an overall silhou silhouette of the car that Ford really owned. And it was really the 41 Continental look with the heavy C-pillar, a long hood, and the short deck. And that set the stage, that really set the theme for the first Mustang that we ever did. And if you really look at a car, if you look at the Mustang in a side view, you can see, uh, if I put a, a, a picture of the 41 Continental behind it, 
you could see the, the relationship that it had to that car. I mean, it, was, it wasn't exactly it, but, it, but the proportions were similar, although the Mustang was a much smaller car than the 41 Continental, but it really had a Ford feel, it was a unique feel. And no, I, I believe no one else could have used that theme or that uh, design technology and that, that uh, design vocabulary to design this car because it, it was a Ford, it had to be a Ford. You knew it was a Ford. Again, because of the long hood, short deck, and the formal C-pillar on, on the car. It held together beautifully, and it really uh, made a strong statement. It was a very unique statement out there, and it really answered Joe's request to do a formal, sporty car. I mean, we nailed it on that car, and obviously, it connected. And I know a lot of people were nervous in the company when we were designing that car, saying, how can you spend all these millions of dollars designing a new car, an all-new car, and Lee Iacocca had some difficulty convincing Henry Ford that we should do this all-new, unique car because it was shortly after the Etzel program. The company spent millions on the Etzel program, and obviously it didn't make it. So they had a hard time convincing Henry Ford that we should do this all-unique-looking car. And finally, Henry Ford said, yeah, okay, but uh, he told Lee Iacocca, you can have the program, you can do the program, I'll give you the money. But uh, this will be the last. This will be the last time I'm giving you this kind of investment to do an all-unique car. This one better work. And he said, "I want 100,000 units the first year. And if you don't get that, you're not going to have a chance to do it like this again." Well, we went way over the 100,000 unit mark. But back to this look of the car, the the, the profile of the car was definitely a, a direct takeoff of the 41 Continental. Uh, when you when you think of the 41 Continental, you think of pure luxury, uh, and yet there's something very sporty about it. Of course, it was a much larger car than the Mustang, but Ford owned that look, and no one else could have done that look and put it on a car, but it, it obviously worked for us on the Mustang. It captured the feel of the car being a, uh, uh, a formal sporty car. Not just sporty, but a formal sporty, and it, it appealed to every, it had, it had mass appeal. I mean, not just guys liked it. You could turn it into a performance car. You could turn it into more of a formal car. Women liked the car, obviously. We had the different engines in the car, which made it very acceptable to a lot of people. And obviously, the car was very acceptable. It was accepted very well, I should say. Um, I, I, worked on the, um, I worked on all the, uh, all the designs. I proposed sketches on a lot of them. Uh, I have a sketch of the, uh, must, uh, the first Mustang Fastback that we did, and I'll show you that sketch in a little while. And, um, but I, my real claim to fame was I actually did the wheel covers of the first Mustang. And I was very proud of that as a young, as a 22-year-old guy, I had my, my uh, shot at it. And uh, they must have been good because a lot of them were stolen. But we've had, uh, the, the rest of the car just, it just fell together. Everybody was excited about the program. We knew we had a winner on our hands. And uh, Mr. Iacocca, of course, was really driving this program. And he had a lot of help from, uh, one of our product planners called Hal Spurlick, who had an off-site studio where they actually started doing some of the forerunners of the car that we brought in-house and started to work on it. So they knew how they could do this car, and they knew that at the time on the first Mustang they were actually working with a Falcon platform. And people said, well, how can you do a sporty car like this off a Falcon, a four-door Falcon? It just doesn't make any sense. But, that, but that's what designers are for, and that's what good engineers are for, because we can take these things and make them work. And obviously, this was a very successful program. Of course, there were a number of designers on the program uh, that, who Joe Orris brought into the program. And uh, I know uh, uh, George, uh, George Shoemaker, one of the fellows who I graduated with uh, from college, was on the program. 
And of course, Gail, Gail, did, uh, Gail did the sketch on the, practically on the back of a napkin with a side view of the Mustang and really captured the proportions. And then it was refined into the actual car. But um, everybody was enthusiastic when we were working on the car. You just, this is one of the few programs, an all new program, that you had an extremely high confidence level and you knew it would be a success. I mean, everybody could just feel it and the market was ready for something like this because nobody else was doing it. And of course, the, the, it, it was a, in response to the Corvette. And of course, it outsold the Corvette like crazy, but the Corvette only had limited production uh, uh, because of the, being a fiberglass body where we did this car in sheet metal and it, uh, it, really, it really clicked. Uh, as I said, it worked on the 72 flatback Mustang, but, and then I and went off to Europe and came back and then worked on, worked on the, the Fox program, the, the, the Fox Mustang, and that was uh, a real breakthrough. And, and, we really had some strong direction from Henry Ford II on the Fox Mustang, and he wanted, he wanted something totally different from the Mustang II. And I, even though the Mustang II was very successful, but he wanted a real departure from that. And I, and I was, in, I, in fact, I remember when we were working on the program, of course, I had just come back from Europe and uh, got a team together at the Design Center in Dearborn to work on the Fox Mustang. And um, I can still remember walking into the studio and the designers uh, had their sketches up on the board showing me the, the way they'd like to go. And I, and I said, well, uh, I'm not coming in here and picking the sketch. I want you to tell me which one you like and why. And if, if you did it, you must like what you did. So tell me why you like this car. So I'll leave you now and you guys can get together and figure this out and then make a presentation to me. But I want you to tell me which one you like, not what I like. And they said, well, this is a really different strategy. Nobody's done this before, but I, I really wanted, I wanted to use the people. I, 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 don't want, I didn't want to be the kind of a designer that did the whole thing myself and just had these guys doing wheel covers like I did on the first one. I felt if I ever got into a position where I could influence design and really utilize the talent that we have, uh, let them do it. Let these guys, you know, uh, 10 heads are better than one. Let's, let's use these people. And, uh, they were surprised. They, they, they didn't think I was serious, but I walked out and I said, look, I'll be back in a week and you guys figure out what you want to do on the Mustang too. Uh, uh, sorry, on the, uh, on the Fox Mustang. And I did, I came back in and then they were enthusiastic about it. And I can remember they had, they, uh, they had some, uh, we went from sketches into full size tape drawings of the car. And when I saw some of the full size tape, the, some of the sketches were really exciting. And I said, boy, this, this is great or this is great. Then they got into the full size tape and all of a sudden they normalized and when they got into the full size, they did the same sort of lines and same proportions and, and uh, the belt lines were too high or too low. They didn't have enough slope to the hood. They just, they just lost all of the uh, excitement and, and a lot of the spontaneity that they had in the sketches when they went full size in these cars. And I said, no, come on guys. Take that sketch that's really exciting and blow it up and show me what you can really do with it. You've got some really great designs here, but when you get into full size, you lose them. Now, pick up what you had, get the, get the excitement and the spontaneity that you had in the sketch in the full size. And I said, I'll be back in a week and see what you can do. And they did. They, they, they really got some good stuff and, and uh, they, they, they captured the design. They didn't, they didn't lose it in the interpretation when they went from sketch to full size tape. And that's when we finally made the selection. They made the selection on the uh, Fox Mustang. And, we, and, and at the time, uh, we were doing both the notchback and the fastback. We, they knew they had that freedom to go both ways. So uh, they got pretty enthusiastic about it, and uh, they were really surprised. Well, as it turned out, 
I was in competition with another studio in, in the design center in Dearborn. And it was uh, the, bo the boss's studio. My boss, uh, vice president of design, Gene Bourdonnais area. And he had Don Della Rosa, who was a terrific designer too. I worked with him in Europe. And it was in his studio that Gene Bourdonnais was doing another Mustang. And uh, so I was in competition with, with that. With my, I was in competition with my boss, which was a very awkward position to be in at the time. But uh, I can remember going to the... Uh, uh, showroom with uh, the car that uh, Don and Gene did and then we had our car rolled in and theirs was a very very boxy I can't even say traditional Mustang it was just it was just old and I had just gotten back from Europe and I was ready to make a departure from anything we'd done in Detroit and so really uh, and as it worked out uh, our car was accepted it went through market research which I don't believe that much in except in small cases I do but it, our car won in the market research not by a lot but by just enough and then when Henry Ford saw the car and he knew that he wanted something really different he wanted a breakthrough design and our car made it and that's how the Fox Mustang was really approved and uh, but again it was a bit awkward being in competition with my boss because he he was he was obviously an, an older gentleman, uh, much older than I was, and, and, and his thinking was just different. And I, I guess I learned that, and I still believe this, you really have to have the young guys, as you say now, the millennials come in and, and get their input on any of these projects that you're working on if you want something new and something fresh. And maybe the, maybe the more mature guys won't understand it, but this is the way to do it. So we, I think we really want, we obviously wound up with a very breakthrough design with the Fox Mustang. It was like nothing else on the road. GM was still filling out the cube, doing very boxy, hard line cars, where this car was aerodynamic with its slant back front end and just had a totally different look. And I had a, a, a bit of a uh, issue trying to sell this aero look here in Dearborn because nobody was even thinking about aero in those days in Dearborn. We did in Europe, but nobody was thinking about it in the U.S. Well, when the Mustang came out, it, the Fox, it was a success, success, and that really inspired our, our movement and the whole aero movement that we had in the Ford Motor Company, which helped us develop the 83 T-Bird and Cougar. And the, and the 83 T-Bird, again, was a very aerodynamic car, really pulled away from the boxy look of anything else. And then that really led, to, the Mustang set the pace for this. That, so we, we've got a, a new T-Bird out of it. And then that led the uh, design or the aero look for the first Taurus, the 1986 Taurus, which was really an aerodynamic car, from front, side, rear, anywhere you looked at that car. And we achieved, when we achieved our aero results, and people, when we did the Taurus, people uh, in-house in were very concerned about it, but uh, Phil Caldwell was our chairman at the time uh, when we did the car, and he, I can remember him coming into the studio and saying, uh, have you gone far enough on the Taurus? And I said, well, wow, management has never come in and asked me if I've gone far enough. They always say, hey, cut back, you've gone too far, that's a little too far out, nobody will understand it. But here was a, here was a different kind of a manager saying, have you gone far enough? Have you? And I said, yes, sir, we have. This, this is, trust me, this, this is enough. And, and it worked, but so the only reason I tell that story is because it was the Mustang II that really set the whole aero effect an aero approach design in the Ford Motor Company. And uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a modest guy, but I really believe that that aero look on the, on the Fox Mustang set the aero look for the whole city of Detroit, both at GM and Chrysler. And all of a sudden, everybody, everybody knew they couldn't, they couldn't not do it. Uh, I can, and I can remember when we brought out the, after, after we got going to this aero look, 
uh, Lee Iacocca, who was at Chrysler at that time, was saying, oh, you guys are doing jelly beans and potatoes and this, and nobody cares about Aero. And I said, well, Mr. Iacocca, we'll just wait and see. But I think we're on the right track, and, and we definitely were on the right track. But I, I, I have to go back to the Mustang. That was the car that really set Aero as a theme for car design in Detroit. We worked with some really interesting people on the program, very, very knowledgeable people. And I think uh, our product planners on the program, our lead product planner was uh, Hal Spurlick, who uh, was way ahead of his time. He, he was willing to reach out and try different things. And he, you know, he was the one that really came up with the idea that we could take the first Mustang off a Falcon platform. I mean, people thought, are you kidding? I mean, I had a brother-in-law, an engineer, taught engineering at the University of Detroit in this town. And he said, you gotta be kidding, you can't, because the word was out that we were taking a sporty car off a Falcon. And they said, you just can't believe it. And I, I, I wanted to buy a Ford product, but I, I couldn't get too excited about a Falcon. I don't think anybody could, well, although we sold a lot of them. But I knew that we could do something off that car. And it was a guy like Hal, Spur, Hal Spurlick, I've got to give him a lot of credit for really working out the details of this and proving that we could take this uh, Falcon platform and do an exciting car off it. So he was a great guy to work with. But Hal did not get into the design aspect, the, the overall look, the, the, the silhouette of the car, the, the, the dynamic look that the car had. But he was, he was more under the skin and he was, very, uh, he was very much concerned about the function of the car and how we could make it work and how we could meet our costs on the car. Because to do an all new car like this, it's very expensive. But Hal was that kind of a guy where Joe Orris, who was head of uh, Ford Design, the Ford Design Group in Dearborn at the time, uh, we're reporting to Gene Bournet, uh, had this feel for design. And, and Joe hit a lot of winners. I mean, all, you know, all through his, his whole history in the company, uh, doing galaxies and large cars and small cars. And that's when, we, by the way, we were changing car designs every year, every October. You could go to your showroom and get excited, your local dealer, and see an all new car. And uh, it was just amazing the way we cranked out so many cars in those. Of course, we had far fewer cars in those days. We had one Ford until we finally had a, a Falcon and a Fairmont. And a, but in, in those one, at first, it was just one car. So you could knock them out quickly. And we weren't as concerned. We had no government regulations at the time. And um, our quality may have, was nowhere near what the quality is, the type of quality that we're getting today in our cars. You know, door margins were, nobody was worried about. Everybody was just thinking about new design. I shouldn't even call it design. I should call it styling in those days. But Joe Orris was very good at styling. He really read the market and knew what people were looking for, and we had some very successful products, and Joe really had this feeling for the Mustang. So here's Hal Spurlick, knew what was underneath the skin, how you could do it, how you could manufacture it, how the car would perform, the kind of interchangeability you would have with other models to make the program affordable, but Joe then put the look in there with his team of designers, and I felt fortunate to be this young guy, one of the guys on his team of designers that uh, I think brought the car to fruition. But uh, we had really different types of people to work with. And you know, you, you've got all kinds of people in the company to work with to make the design really work. You've got the finance people, the manufacturing people who are giving us feasibility on the design. And we could come up, for example, with a Mona Lisa every hour on the hour. But if it wasn't feasible, if you couldn't put it into production, if you didn't meet your cost objectives, it didn't make any sense. You know, so you've got to be a designer that has a, uh, the designer has to be a multifaceted guy that understands uh, all the all the different facets of design and, and uh, techniques and technologies that have to be put, put into the car. Since my retirement from the Ford Motor Company, uh, 
I, I moved to Florida. I, I wanted to, I uh, always felt in my retired life, I'd like to be someplace where there are palm trees. I like warm climates. I like the water. Uh, I've always been into boat design. Uh, while I was working at Ford, uh, when I first started at Ford, I was doing grill textures and door handles and all sorts of uh, not exciting things on the car that were essential, but uh, you know, the, the guys on the boards really didn't get, to do, didn't get to do the whole car, which is why I tried when I got into a managed position to let the designers get more involved in the total design. But uh, while I was at Ford, when I first started at Ford, uh, I can't say I was bored, but I wanted to do more. I wanted to express myself more. I always loved boats, and I love the water, love boats. So I, on my, on my own, I, did, I was doing some freelance boat design. I was with the, uh, I took some sketches that I did on, on my own, on my off time, and took some sketches to a boat company just out of Philadelphia in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the Trojan Boat Company, and showed the sketches to the owner of the company there. And I got about halfway through the sketches, and he said, uh, he closed my portfolio and said, how do you want to work with this? And I said, well, I don't want to quit my job at Ford. I'm doing some pretty exciting stuff there, but um, I'd like to do this on the side if I could. He said, fine, you just work out the arrangements and see what we can do, which I did. So I was with him for about uh, almost four years. And then the Ford Motor Company transferred me to Australia. So I had to give up my account with the Trojan Boat Company. Uh, and I gave it to another designer from Ford who finally went with them full time. But I was always interested in boats too, boats and architecture. But when I retired then, I, I got, I, we got to Florida and uh, enjoyed it. And I was uh, judging, and I still do judge at a number of different car shows. And I was judging out at uh, the Pebble Beach Show, which is probably one of the most exciting car shows in the world. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's where I met my wife. She's a Californian. We happen to be, we have a, we both, my wife and I have a very uh, automotive, <laughs> automotive history behind us, I guess you could say. And um, she was out there. She'd been going to the show much longer than I was, but we met there. But I was judging other, uh, other automotive shows here in Michigan um, and, uh, and also Amelia Island in Florida, which is one of the, uh, one of the best car shows around also. And while I was at the car show one year, Bill Warner, who runs the car show, said, uh, gee, let's, we should, it'd be really great if we could get the uh, a fellow by the name of Bob Gregory, who lives in St. Augustine, Florida, who was the first designer for the Ford Motor Company. He reported directly to Etzel Ford, and he actually designed the 1941 Continental, which was the car that got me started this whole business when I was five years old and I got excited about it. So, I th so Bill said, well, let's invite him to the car show at Amelia Island. He was just in St. Augustine, which wasn't that far, but he wasn't in very good health. So we uh, were able to take lunch to uh, Bob Gregory's house and have lunch with him. And it was, it was just an honor to meet Bob Gregory, the first automotive designer. As a matter of fact, Bob Gregory, uh, when he was designing for Ford, working for Etzel Ford, he lived right here on Grozeal where I live. Of course, I, that was long before I got here, so I, I never knew him. But he was a really interesting guy and a delightful guy. And by the way, his hobby was designing boats also. So uh, after I retired, uh, I, I continued to judge at different car shows around the country. I was contacted by uh, Chris Craft, one of my favorite boat companies around, who were used to where Chris Craft was born right here in Algonac, Michigan, just north of Detroit. And Christopher Smith, who started the company, was the first boater who actually put motors in boats. He, he really developed the first motorboat. He used to race on the Detroit River here and all. And this is a very exciting area, this whole Detroit area for for motors and for boats. And as a matter of fact, Etzel Ford was into racing boats and had a number of boats himself. And by the way, 
When Bob Gregory would design cars for Etzel Ford, Etzel would tell him, try to get a little bit of a boat flavor, feeling into some of these cars if you can. So if you look at the first Lincoln Zephyr grill, it had what they called the bow weight grill. It was, they brought the sheet metal down low, right down into the, almost to, to the bumper, and then had the grill splaying out in a, a, as, a, as if it was a bow wake of a boat. And another line that I, I never, never noticed before, because Bob Gregory got some of these uh, boat lines on uh, cars, uh, the 1949 Mercury had a line, if you follow the front, uh, the front fender, the uh, top of the front fender, it broke in the door and then continued on back. And it was a real takeoff on the Chris Craft Commander boat. They had the sheer line of the boat doing that and going back. And I, and I didn't learn this until I met Bob Gregory, Bob Gregory at his home having lunch with him that day. He was, again, just a delightful guy to share all that information with me. And I thought, wow, uh, here I've been looking at these cars all this time and I never thought of boats. But when he did the first uh, Lincoln Zephyr, and uh, oh, then he did the Continental and all with that bow weight grill, bringing the sheet metal down in the center of the grill. I understand Harley Earl, who was the chief designer, the vice president of design for General Motors, took one look at that and just couldn't believe it because at that time, all grills were just vertical grills to get air through the radiator. And here Bob Gregory brought the sheet metal right down the center of the thing with this bow weight grill. And they said when Harley Earl saw that, he, he asked his guys, how did I miss that? He just couldn't believe that Ford scooped him on that. But it was, again, these are, there are some real Ford firsts that we have that nobody seems to know about in this country. But uh, so, so Bob Gregory, unbeknownst to me, because I never met this man all my life, I just liked his work. And I, I didn't know, really know who he was, but uh, he had a strong influence on my life. And uh, I have to thank him for that. So I, I did get into, I was uh, consulting with Chris Craft down in Florida for several years. Uh, until I moved back from Florida back up to Michigan and uh, kind of got out of the kind of got out of the design business. So I'm just doing at the moment I'm doing uh, judging at different car shows and, uh, and really enjoying that. One of our clay modelers by the name of Charles Karestis, who was a Hungarian count who came to this country after World War II, uh, was an equestrian, and he. Uh, he, he designed, he was a, a terrific, very creative clay modeler, and he, he was the one we selected to do the actual Mustang horse in the center of the grill. And this is just a casting of one of the first ones that uh, Charles did, and then the actual Mustang horse was taken uh, from the original clay model that Charles did. This is a real wheel cover from the 64 and a half Mustang, the first Mustang that I designed, I'm very proud of it. And my story is that I think it was very good because a lot of them were stolen. This was uh, one of the sketches that I did, a rendering of the Fastback, uh, the first Fastback Mustang. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the code name of the program at that time was Cougar. And it, it's maybe difficult to see, but it's small, but it actually said Cougar on the back of this car because this was before we settled on the name Mustang. But other than that, it was very close to the uh, well, it was just one of the proposals for the Fastback. So the, fast, the final Fastback was similar to this when it came out. Some other uh, Mustang, Fastback Mustang sketches here. Some of them were pretty, uh, pretty tight, I'd say, in the uh, actual interior layout. Lend itself more to a two-seater than, uh, than a two plus two. And this was uh, another one, another one of the uh, Fastback proposals. But we did just tons of these uh, in the development process that we were working on the car.